1: But Toro slams it home.
2: Garland left wing. Free ball. Perfect. Garland went to the lane. Locked. The
1: Mobley. Pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow. Oh, With the left hand and a foul.
3: Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media Family. I'm your host, Justin Rohn. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo, the official streaming partner of the Cavs. Watch over 350 channels of live sports and TV, including Bally Sports Ohio, without cable. There's no cost and no commitment. Try for free at fuboTV.com/cavs. All-Star Weekend is behind us. That means we are entering the home stretch of the NBA season, when all of this stuff starts mattering a whole lot more. And we thought, what better way to kick off? The home stretch of the season by answering some listener questions. Joining me to do so is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, buddy. I'm just glad to have you back. You
2: know, uh, you know, thank you very much to Jeff Nomina for filling in on the pre uh, pre break pod. Uh, but and obviously, thank you to Sam Merrill for <laughs> for jumping on. If you didn't hear that interview it was on last week's pod, and you should absolutely
3: check it out. But, you know, it does feel comfy to have you back, buddy. I was about to say you did a tremendous job big thanks to Nam stepping up really enjoyed that podcast. Uh, You killed it the interview with Sam Merrill. I I found that to be fascinating. Yeah, you got a a lot of uh, interesting stuff in in a short period of time, which isn't easy to do. Um, And credit. To how comfortable you made him feel but we'll let's dive in because you know mailbag podcasts i feel like we always end up going very very long we have some news to get to before that uh the Cavs have uh signed pete nance to a two-way contract um not a big surprise given how well he's been playing for the charge this season um Craig Porter Jr obviously is on a standard NBA contract Big congratulations to him um but with that you know promotion for Craig it opened up an opportunity for Pete and you know what it makes perfect sense to me
2: uh yeah I think it is a little interesting that they didn't go with a uh, a guard to replace a guard you know their their two ways are now um you know amani Bates who's obviously a you know a two3 uh it you got isaiah Mobley, who's a bit of four five and then pete Nance, who i think is a pure five i don't think there ain't there's any four uh in that body i would uh, i just dis-
3: i would disagree i think he, he's a little four or five ish all right well J- just I, I, from a height standpoint and the fact that you know he's been stretching it out from three that just makes me think you know uh, kind of a more stretchy four or five but i i get what you're saying from a rim protection standpoint
2: yeah yeah, so I you know, ultimately I think uh, it's interesting they didn't go with the guard, but uh, you know, uh the Cavs have so clearly been using the charge as the developmental system. And it's fine, you know, if uh, I, I think with Nance it's much like a lot of these kind of guys that are, you know, right on the periphery of you know, making it into the association full time as the jumper is gonna kind of be the bellwether. You know, he doesn't have the freak athleticism that his brother has. Um uh, but you know, the jumper at times in the G league has looked really, really good at times it, it it's faltered, you know? So it's, it's kind of one of those things where that, that is going to be kind of the bellwether and, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he gets run, uh, as mm. the, if the team is, you know, banged up a little bit, missing a couple guys, whether they're resting people down the stretch. Um, but ultimately, you know, nothing to complain about with, the, with a, a G league spot and, uh, or I'm sorry, a two way spot. And. Uh, i i would suspect much like isaiah he's going to spend most of his time with the charge until their season's done just because the Cavs are finally healthy knocking on that wood (laughs) um and there's just not really going to be an opportunity for him to play anything other than garbage time but ultimately uh happy for him to have gotten a two-way deal it's uh you know uh obviously cool anytime you see a nance uh in a Cavs uniform
3: yeah and i think in another sense, it makes sense, too, because when you're talking about this late in a G League season, in an NBA season, you already have, you know, all 30 teams have three two-way players. So there's 90 players under two-way contracts. I don't think there's a lot of diamonds in the rough that aren't under team control right now. So when you have the chance to, to reward the guy that's in-house, I think, obviously, you go ahead and do so. Um, you know, two-way contracts, you If something else comes up where where you need to pivot, it's very easy to do so, Um, but I I think he's certainly shown enough and has been playing really well in the G League, Um, so I'm not surprised to see him get this. Go ahead. Yeah, and to to your point about, you know, like, you're probably going to need to find someone under team control,
2: I think it's also, you know, these are kind of those fringe moves that, in isolation, don't really matter much, but when you are a guy that is in that, you know, UDFA kind of fringe kind of spot, you kind of survey the landscape and you look at like, okay, what's going to be a good spot for me? What's the place that, that cares about developing their guys, takes care of their, their players in the G league. So like, I do think there's probably some reciprocal, you know, like long-term value in being a team that is just constantly churning, uh, G, you know, G league, to two way to, to main roster. Yeah. Like, that's a very nice and important uh, route for the team to take um, in terms of attracting talent and in terms of getting guys to to go there. You know Uh, you want to be the, you know, when you're, when you're not in a glamor market, you have to, you have to build your own advantages. And I think that's, this is a case of one of those things where like, if you're a G leaguer that puts in his time, you you're seeing a, that there's a good chance whether you're Zaire Smith on a ten day I don't know if that's expired yet but either way whether it's Zaire Smith on a ten day or Pete Nance coming up on a ten day and then getting a two way deal like hey if I come here I play well I'm a good team player um and, you know I'm, I'm a good citizen I'll be rewarded I'll get a chance to you know one you know get a little extra income yeah um and two like get a chance um this is a team that's gonna look for. Uh, value on the margin so ult- on it's own like this isn't going to lead uh, lead the A block of sports <laughs> center but like ultimately I think uh, it, it, it's a good thing
3: it definitely will lead the A block of the chase down podcast and it did and, and, and it did and and when you're talking about you know charge graduates and whatnot our boy friend of the podcast sam merrill uh was loosely connected to one of my favorite moments of all-star weekend with donovan mitchell in the three-point contest wearing the money merrill jersey um i enjoyed all-star weekend for for what it was you know i i it's very much kind of second screen stuff for me where it's like, oh, it, it's kind of nice as I'm checking my phone and, and doing other things like to have it on. It, it's amusing enough. I I appreciate it for what it is. I found it very funny that everyone in my life that isn't like a diehard NBA fan, but was tuning in was like sending me texts being like, oh, I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed All-Star Saturday. And then you go on Twitter and it's just the polar opposite. But we don't need to get too, too far into that. Uh, I, how did, I how did actively
2: you enjoy trying choosing not to not to contribute to the fix all-star weekend discourse it's, it's fine i just it's fine I I love the shootout I love sabrina her stuff that was so cool that was so such good. an important yeah. one wo- moment for for basketball for women's basketball um not to do the thing but as a father of a daughter <laughs> <laughs> look at you everyone hates that guy <laughs> everyone hates that guy but I couldn't help but feel kind of emotional you know like mm-hmm. that's you know, uh, my, my mom played high school basketball in, in the late sixties, early seventies, you know, when, when it was just first starting. And now, now we've got, you know, someone like Sabrina Ionescu, who is, who is, you know, nearly beating the greatest shooter of all time, uh, in yeah. a three point shootout. So that was amazing. Um, uh, I, I, I love the three point shootout skills t- competition gave us some, uh, some mean secondhand, uh. Uh uh fun when Scotty yeah. dribbled off his leg.
3: And, and can uh, I just say for the fix all star weekend people, the the folks that want home court determined by this, oh, I don't want the Cavs losing home no. court because Scotty's dribbling off his knee. Like that no, that's not what I'm you, here sir. for. No, my, no, thank my, you, sir. My my only real tweak, like if you wanted to make a format change, I love the format of Rising Stars. It was great to see Imani uh balling out in that um as well as the the up next challenge um get it, getting to see Amani on that stage that's where that man deserves to be uh he, he just pops every time he's on the screen but if you're not going to take that format my one suggestion would be get commentators that seem to enjoy what they're watching or at least are making an effort to sell it because honestly it's like watching a movie sitting next to the guy from cinema Sins. like if you're sitting next to someone that's nagging and pointing out every little thing or what they perceive to be comedy, I think that that hurts the overall product. While I'm here, I didn't know everyone
2: hated CinemaSins so much. It's getting it's just film Twitter hates that that page. And I think it's I think it might be in, in the class. I think CinemaSins might be in the class of South Park, mm-hmm. where like it might be funny on its own merits, but like a certain a certain type of person watches it and you just can't trust
3: the general public with handling it responsibly because that's honestly like that's how i feel about it like i will get a chuckle from it i like cinema sense i
2: I just don't let it
3: drive my film aesthetic right and and i will watch it after i've consumed and form my own thoughts on something right like it's that's what everyone's here for by the way our comments on on film (laughs) criticism that Thanks for sticking around, guys. Lights, camera, down. It's the down. all-star
2: break. I don't know.
3: <laughs> well, you know what? We we've we've toiled, we've done enough uh, you know, little commentary here. Let's Oh, let's we gotta in- shout out we got a shout out Donnie before we open up the mailbag. Okay, so go.
2: cool that he wore the Sam Merrill jersey. So freaking cool. Like, that is just that is a selfless, low key act. Didn't make a big show of it, didn't didn't like tweet out that I was gonna be doing it. Mm. Like just Quietly supported his boy, who he thought deserved to be there. I loved it. I thought it was one of the most likable things a Cavs player has done like in my life. I just I was beaming. I was so geeked to see Merrill's name out there. You know, this this guy that you know we've been rooting for that only a small percentage of the NBA population still knows about, uh that just shoots the cover off the ball. Thought it was cool that Donnie uh shouted out. I think it's a testament to one donnie being you know as selfless as a star gets with the public eye uh and also just being likable like Mm. and being connected to his team i just i thought it was really really cool make fun of me for being
3: a mark or being overly sentimental i don't care i loved it dude that's what we're here for we're we're here for things that make us feel things as fans and and like it's one of the most endearing things uh he's done in, in a Cavs jersey and um the way that donovan mitchell i i know i've talked about this before because we like to celebrate when we're right here um i i think it's also important to highlight when we're wrong i was skeptical about the mitchell trade I, I wasn't the biggest fan of his game prior to coming over and he has continued to win me over both with how he acts on and off the court uh the growth that he's shown since he's been in a Cavs jersey uh but it's little stuff like this that you end up remembering more than the individual games and whatnot like this is the the type of culture stuff that that you really look back fondly so uh to to kind of have that on the all-star stage i thought was really really special but we need to kick off the home stretch honestly big shout out to our listeners we really do appreciate you guys getting these questions in uh i think a lot of great questions Damn, in here we today. have a
2: lot of questions i just opened up the rundown
3: for the first time because i'm a bad professional yeah you know what I'm here to prepare for you. I'm here to throw those lobs for you, Carter. A lot of great questions. Big thanks to everyone that uh, sent them in on Twitter as well as our Discord. A reminder when it comes to Discord, all you got to do is send a screenshot of a review or a rating to chasedownpot at gmail.com and we will send you an invite to that. Um, So big, big uh, thanks to our entire Chase Down community. We will kick things off. Some of these questions I've kind of combined or at least made note when it was the spirit of the same question. Um, But Bald Man Gets Paid as well as Dollar Dog Nick. Good uh, name, Bald Man Gets Paid. It's pretty good. Uh, Assuming the cast finished second, what would your best and worst case scenario for the way the rest of the seedings shake out be?
2: All right. I think we'll just talk through Cavs matchups because I would imagine that's kind of the spirit of the question. Correct. Um I think I uh, I think the dream. I don't care how uh I, I think if you say anything other than wanting, you know, the magic or you know, the bulls have no shot at getting up to the seven seed, do they? Uh they are already they're four games back at the Magic and Eight. I think if you if you say anyone other than the Magic, I just think you're getting you're missing the forest for the trees. You know? Yeah, the Heat are vulnerable and weird, but they're still the Miami Heat led by the best coach in the league, led mm-hmm. by a player who is capable of being the best player in any series against any team. Um I I I think for me, I want to see a team that hasn't had their first dip into the playoff pool to kind of warm up. But I also think the magic are a really good starter series. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about some of those uh, late stage Pacers teams uh, in the Paul George era where they were a seven or eight seed, but like you had to go fight against Paul George. They were going to be well coached. They were going to work really hard. You had to go win. And like, I feel like that would be the case against a magic team or physical, strong, elite defenders that would really test your playoff offense but not require you to be in in fifth gear right away Mm -hmm. um so i really like that both for a winnable matchup and a matchup that would kind of get you ready for whatever comes next and then i gotta say man i hope the knicks get up to the three seed um one i still think they are i still think the bucks are a scary proposition as weird as they have been Mm-hmm. because Giannis is the best player or the second best player in the world right now. I mean, he's amazing. Um and I just I just don't want to deal with that uh if I can avoid it, you know. If I can have uh Joel Embiid and uh uh or or, you know, and, and Giannis go play the Bucks in the second round, that's awesome <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. Like get them out of the way. Uh, and frankly, I just want another shot at the Knicks, man. Like if we do get to the second round and get to play, play them. Um, I feel like it's one of, it would be one of those th- cathartic series because I still don't think the Knicks were as talented as the Cavs last year. I, I think the that. Cavs played a bad series in a matchup that exploited them in very bad ways. It was the perfect storm. I want to see them prove that their personnel is, is ready uh i want i want to see them prove that their roster construction is more versatile um and uh, you know the knicks are better which is scary you know og scares me a little bit he's the best guy guarding donnie in the league but that's what i want uh and then obviously you know from there you just got the big daddy of the east uh <laughs> awaiting if you can get through those first two rounds of the gauntlet but that's my preferred path what do you think
3: yeah, I, I think Orlando is the answer uh, when you talk about first round. Um, it, although they have size, there's also the the factor that we ran into, right? Which is inexperience. What what did we say all last season? We said at some point the Cavs are going to you know get embarrassed in the playoffs or and have things fall apart because of the lack of experience. It, it happens to every single young young team. Um, as much as I like Paolo, I think we'd probably have you know the probably the best two players in the series, potentially three, um, or like we have guys talented enough to outplay Palo in the series. And Um, you have the
2: personnel to guard him in your base lineups, which really matters.
3: And they don't have a lot of three point shooting. They don't have guards that can really kind of pressure the cast point of attack defense. Uh, like it's just the most favorable matchup. Uh, the scariest first round matchup is obviously Philadelphia. If they were to fall that far, um, Miami Heat. I don't fear Miami, uh, the the way that I probably should. Um, I would. Who do prob- you fear more, the Heat or the Pacers? I think the
2: Pacers. I I, I, think, I fear the Heat more. I would be I, more nervous about them.
3: I think Halliburton's a, a better player, um, at this point than, than Jimmy Butler. Um, I know that's disrespectful. Um, but Jimmy just. I just don't know if he's able to sustain for as long of a period of time. And obviously inexperience is a factor there. But when I look at the top two of uh, Pascal Siakam, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, the shooting that they have, I think I fear India just a little bit more. And Rick Carlisle is a fantastic coach, too. So like, it's not like you have a first-time head coach versus Eric Spolster in that equation. But um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm putting too much stock in, in the regular season. But I, I think I would rather play Miami than Indiana. They're, they're playing a... a
2: lot of guys who are untested in the playoffs. That That is the one thing I'll say, you know, mm-hmm. them and, and they got worse at the deadline. They're one of the only good teams that got worse at the deadline on purpose when they traded Buddy Heald, yeah, who was, who is an imperfect player, but ultimately the kind of guy who really contributed to their, their personality, um, and frankly, in my opinion, caused very Cavs specific problems, mm-hmm. um, um, and like ultimately I just I just think the pacers are are fun and good and exciting, but they're at a tier from an experience and talent level perspective where you even if they cause you problems, you just gotta go beat them. Yeah. You have to beat them if this is year two in the playoffs for your young, talented, fun team that has aspirations for big things. And if you can't, well then you learn something about yourself. Whereas the heat the heat I just think can beat anyone and like you might just go damn maybe like maybe the takeaway will be that you weren't good enough but like I think deep down you'll never know because the heat are so weird
0: I just want good intel man that's all I want there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. angie can even help with extremely specific projects just tell them what you need and angie will find the right solution for you get started at angie.com that's a-n-g-i.com or download the app today
3: yeah i i think that's fair and honestly this ties into a question a little further down the rundown from our uh, buddy zach weiss at across the Cavs, but I, I think it, it's a good time to jump into it, which is what's your single biggest concern for the Cavs against Boston, Milwaukee, and New York in a series?
2: So I, I think I love this question, by yeah, the way.
3: Let let's go, you know, matchup by matchup. Let, let's start in the order that he's presented them. Uh Boston, what what's your single biggest concern for the Cavs in in a series against the Celtics? My biggest concern
2: is that our point of attack won't hold up against Boston. I worry that we'll get into help and we'll get one, you know, one or, you know, that we might have to downshift, then get one of our bigs out on a switch, and then Porzingis will do that infuriating thing he does on this team where he just sort of ambles towards the hoop and gets a wide open (laughs) six-footer because it's just like, you know, he catches the ball and there's there's a dude a foot shorter than him on his hip. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of floats it up. Um, I think they're I think that's my concern. I think that this team is gettable. Uh, from I think our offense is built just to, to do well against their great point of attack, defending guards. I think Drew's lost a step, yep. and speedy, shifty guys mess with him more than they used to. Um, and ultimate, and then I think. You know they're bigs. We can we can we can mess up a drop coverage right now. We're really good against drop this season in a yeah. way we weren't last year. So, but like I I worry about getting enough stops. Um, because if the Celtics don't get baited into their worst instincts, which is just chucking a billion threes, like that amble to the hoop is always going to be there for Zinger. What about you?
3: Yeah, uh, I I think it does come down to Porzingis for me. Um, you know when, when you talk about. What type of matchups give the cast troubles? Stretch bigs do concern me. No, not because Evan Mobley and Jared Allen aren't good at defending the perimeter. I think among big men, they are as good as they come, really. I just think it changes the shape of our defense and. Even though the Cavs had the best defense in the playoffs last season, I think they lost some of their structural integrity defensively, kind of overcompensating. And I worry that a similar thing could happen where, you know, Jared Allen is pulled a little too far from the rim um, and that's leading to breakdowns in other areas. I, I think the Cavs would still, for a series, have a good, like, defensive rating, but I, I think it could wear out the team and get them out of their game in a way that a, a lot of other teams can't just because boston's so talented like that starting five is probably the best lineup in basketball like that that is the best five-man group from a talent standpoint that there is i don't i don't worry a ton about the point of attack in terms of garland and mitchell just because i don't think Derek white or or drew Holiday are those type of guys that that can kind of beat you like a damian lillard or jalen brunson um but you know I, i just think there's enough front court concerns and, and they present enough issues there that that gives me the biggest reason for pause. Like I would probably like Boston would be favored in that series. I, I think if you're making a pick, uh, I think the Cavs could upset the Celtics, but I want that to be as far as possible. Like I want that to be as far down the road as possible because hopefully the Cavs, Learn some things, you know, in the first two rounds of the playoffs. If you're the two seed, you're going to avoid the Celtics. Um, uh, so Boston is having
2: one of the most underrated seasons in the history of the sport. Yeah, they are destroying everybody. Uh, they are plus ten point one. The next best uh, average differentials plus seven point three. Mm-hmm. They are insane at home. They have and and despite being having the best home record by a healthy margin. They also are just one game away from the best road record. They're (laughs) insane, man. They're so good. They've, they've avoided the injury bug. Um, but the stuff that I was worried about them. And by the way, it's so hard not to, we're going to go so long on this or leave a bunch of questions in the cutting
3: room floor. Uh, Honestly, we got no games to talk about. It's it's an earlier podcast. We're going long on this podcast. It is what it is. It's fine.
2: Um, but, you look like the thing I was so wrong about was like I thought they had six guys who were, you know, any good, basically, and then mm-hmm. a bunch of kind of chaff. Like the quote unquote chaff has stepped up in a really major way. Peyton Pritchard is playing out of his mind. Sam Hauser can't miss. Um they are getting enough they you know, they flip they made a nice deadline trade for Xavier Tillman, who's a really nice rotational big. Like, they don't have the you know, I I thought they were a team that didn't have a lot of pumpkin insurance. Mm-hmm. They still might not if the if the top guys aren't playing well. But like they they can cobble together great lineups with a with eight guys in the rotation. That's really all you need in the postseason. So they're nasty, and I don't want to touch them. We should yeah. probably move on though, to the next team. How well, about the Bucks?
3: The, the, the one thing that we do have in our favor is that, you know, Tristan Thompson will be back by that point, and Al Horford plays for that team. And historically, that has always been a very good thing. I'm going to start with what I fear most with a next matchup. Okay. And that is themselves. I fear how the Cavs match up in that series. And this is drawing on being on the other side of some of these matchups in the past. Like, I think back to 2018, where the Cavs needed, you know, a LeBron game winner and a throwback Tristan game just to beat the Pacers in seven. Uh, They survived by the skin of the team game seven against the Celtics. And then that middle series against Toronto, where Toronto was probably a better team. And yes, they exploited matchups against DeRozan and Jonas Valanciunas defensively. But I think Toronto got into their own heads in that matchup. And they got away from their own game. Um, I think, you know, if Jonas puts in one of those putbacks at the beginning of Game 1, it could have been a totally different series. And that reminds me a lot of Josh Hart making that game winner against the Cavs in Game 1 last year against the Knicks. Like, if the Cavs survive that game, you know, there's less of an overreaction. They probably feel a little more confident. It could have changed the complexion of that series. And I just worry that, you know, some of the good habits that we built up this year could go away if you're going up against a team that, you you know, you've heard the Cavs talk about what that matchup means to them, how frustrated they are, how like how that has fueled what they've done this season. I just think there's, you know, that potential for trying to do a little bit too much to prove yourself, to, to, to silence the doubters, and getting away from their game. Because I think if the Cavs are playing their game and they stick to their identity that they've formed, I feel really good about their chances in any series. Like, I feel good about their chances giving Boston a very competitive series. I think they can beat any team in the Eastern Conference in a series. What we're going to need to learn over this stretch run of the season and in these playoffs is can they stick to this identity and build upon what they've already built? Or when things get tight, do they revert to some of their old habits?
2: That's all well and fair. I'm going to go with a bit more of an X is an O question or uh, answer on this one, which is, I'm a little worried about who they're going to guard Jalen Brunson with. If they, if they if they trim up their rotation a little bit, um, I thought Okoro was so good on him. Uh, and I and I worry about what this what our offense has to do in order to match what will happen if Max Struess is getting a lot of primary reps on him or Darius is getting primary reps on him. As compared to Karras and Okoro, you know, um, they're just playing. Uh, their lineups, their starting lineup right now. I think a big bellwether that I'm keeping an eye on is their point of attack defense. I felt like they were asking early in the year, they were asking Mobley and Allen to clean up a lot more, a lot more than they did last year. Mm-hmm. And I am curious to see how much JB. Will trust a guy like Okoro to stay to give him heavy minutes in a playoff series because we have not seen it yet. Now we've only had one playoff series, but even in the playing games, Ice pretty much got pulled out of the rotation mm-hmm. uh, two years ago. So, like, I, I I worry about that because I think I don't want them to backslide on defense because uh, I I really think their their defensive output was amazing in that series i just think they needed to score better they needed to shoot better and like so like their ability to contain that while kind of still building in the stuff that they've added
3: is going to be a really interesting uh back and forth so i resisted my urge to cut you off because i'm awful for that thank you may i ask yeah why did donovan mitchell's name not come up when it came to defending Jalen Brunson. Because in my opinion... Because I don't think he can he's a good defender on Jalen Brunson. (laughs) I think he's played very good defense this year. I think he has legitimately improved. And when you're looking at what happened last year, where I think both you and I both wanted more Isaac Okoro in that series. Obviously, he, he wasn't healthy going into it. Missed a month. Everyone knows the context. But even without Isaac Okoro really being a presence in that series and bothering Jalen Brunson, which I think if we have a rematch and, and he's healthy, he's going to spend a lot of time on him. And I, I think that's something that you want for the Cavs. But even with that, Jalen Brunson did not have an efficient series. The Cavs still had the best defense in the playoffs. Why is that in particular? What it? Because the Knicks, I think the addition of Boyan is going to ungunk gunk their offense in some ways. Like I, I think... The, the space I they will have, be
2: thrilled with every Bojan minute in this series
3: <laughs> I I just think they have lost some play creation like guys that can put the ball on the floor uh, Alec Burks is you know Alec Burks and Dante DiVincenzo are, are going to be those other guys for them and that just doesn't give me the same kind of concerns that that we have with, with, with you know some of the ball handling they had last year in comparison like even though Emmanuel quickly didn't have a great series like RJ Barrett had a very good Series and is a big physical body. Those guys aren't really that when it comes to physicality. So I, I'm I'm just surprised that that is your answer. Um, just from a a schematic Uh, standpoint,
2: it's just a quiet angst. And to speak to the Donovan thing, um, I I don't have the numbers in front of me. It's very possible that I'm just wrong on this, but my eyes tell me that Donovan does a really nice job against straight line drivers. I really like him. Guarding up against a Jalen Brown, um, uh, you know, guys who are not so herky jerky in nature. I think a guy like Jalen Brunson has done a really nice job of using Donovan's athleticism against him. Mm-hmm. You know, like there were there were plays both in the series and in the game where Brunson scored like fifty or whatever it was against us, where. I felt like Donovan was chasing ghosts, you know, big lunges as as Brunson's going the other way, you know, I feel like the straight line drivers who are even bigger than Donovan are stronger. I think he, his athleticism is better leveraged in those spots and his, his lo, you know, his low center of gravity and stuff. I think he's great. I think he's become legitimately great closing out on shooters and things like that. I just feel like Bronson's specific play style is not does not suit Donovan's best strengths as a defender. As happy as I am with his defense this year, okay. Again, I might just be wrong, but that that is where where I come down on it. There's
0: no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need, and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com, or download the app today.
3: Shall we move on to the next team? Yeah. Milwaukee Bucks, um, I, I think, once again, drawing on experiences of playoffs pass, best player ends up mattering a lot. And Giannis, I think, in a more definitive way than Jason Tatum or even Joel Embiid, who, you know, th- they've got some playoff questions, too. I think Giannis, a- as an NBA champion and as one of the best players the world and someone that can be the best player in the world on any given night, um, that's my biggest concern. Like, I, I just think he can change the shape of a series. You can get early Mobley foul trouble and it just throws everything out of whack. Like uh, it's, it's honest, like that, that's, it's reductive, but sometimes basketball can be that way.
2: How many guys in the NBA right now can be the best player in a series and still have their team lose? Like it's maybe like four or five guys. You know, like that, that are that consistently can be like, yeah, they lost, but that guy was nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like that whole series. And Giannis kind of has like three or four of those series to his name. I know Luca has a couple series to his name like that, where it's like, they lost, but it is not on that guy at all. <laughs> you know, like that. Normally, like if you lose, you know, you look at like the Celtics as an example. Like, normally, like, if they lose, you can go look at the basketball reverence game logs, and Jason Tatum probably had three stinkers in there. Right. Like, even Giannis' stinkers are, like, 34 and 16. <laughs> like, he just happened to not be super efficient from the field, or he missed a bunch of free throws. Mm-hmm. I just think his floor is so freaking high. Um. So, yeah, I I, I think that is probably where I'm at, where I it's Giannis maybe somewhat secondarily they just are very big in the front court um but like I don't know I just think our offense is so much better built for that this year you know they're so much better against drop than they were in years past so that is uh I think everything uh everything's so weird with Milwaukee right now saying anything
3: other than just Giannis feels wrong yeah we're, we're, they're going to be a team that's going to be figuring out an identity so you know when you're looking at kind of individual matchups and, and oh this is like an interesting clash of styles we don't really know what their style is going to be all we really know is like when we did play them it didn't feel as imposing as it has in the past and that's well jared just
2: allen being the absolute crap out of uh brooke lopez uh <laughs> in every matchup uh certainly helps with that
3: It definitely inspires a little bit of confidence and, you know, their uh, point of attack defense is quite a bit different. Uh, David Levy asks, the Cavs were notoriously slow last year. What has the pace been before the Garland and Mobley injuries with them gone and since they've been back? Um, So as a point of reference, last year, um, the pace was 96.27. Pre-injuries this year, it was 99.07. So, you know, uh, up three possessions uh, for a game. Uh, in that stretch, without Garland and Mobley, they actually slowed down about a f- almost a full possession to 98.26, and since their return, they've gone even slower at 97.8, but I did want to point this out because I find it incredibly interesting. When you look at the starting five's pace of Garland, Mitchell, Struess, Mobley, and Allen, they actually have a pace of 100.9, so almost 101 they are faster than the team's average they are one of the calves quickest lineups they would be i believe eighth in terms of pace and even individually like when you look at the pace for a player when they're on the court mobley has played uh the the calves have played at this pace with each of these players on the floor mobley 101 donnie 100.17 or 100.18 dg 100.17 and Allen 100. So my conclusion here is if the starting unit is playing so quick, and these guys individually are playing so quick when they're on the court, the reason we've seen a drop off in the no Garland and Mobley stretch and the stretch since their return, is because they have blown teams out and all of a sudden you got bench guys playing, these all bench lineups playing at a totally different pace, uh, running out the shot clock with 45 seconds because they're up 35 points. Little things like that that can throw some noise into the sample. But I do find it interesting that as a starting unit, understanding that the spacing isn't as great with two bigs, they have been playing a whole lot faster than any other Cavs lineup.
2: First off, Thank you for doing that research. Very, very good. Um, I think it is one thing, a couple things to note. Thing one: the difference between, uh, you know, being the twenty. Let's see here. Let's let's just take a little sample. The difference between the twenty-third fast team and the ninth fast team is about two possessions. So. <laughs> Like this is one of those things where I think the ranking I just I think I am at the point of my life where I just I'm not going to care. I'm not going to care where they rank and pace unless they're dead last or they're first. <laughs> if they're in the middle, they're probably pretty close to like 12 other teams. Yeah. Um I think it is also worth noting that of the 10 fastest teams in the league right now, it used to be pace really correlated to great offense. It's not necessarily the case right now, you know, or or great teams like there it was you know you could kind of tell who was playing the right way by who was playing faster you got washington is first in the league in pace by a healthy margin uh you have detroit at seven uh you have atlanta at three though their offense is pretty pretty uh pretty darn good the lakers who have a pretty uh moribund offense they're sixth so like it's one of those things where, like, I just, I'm not as worried about the number right now. I'm, I am actually much more worried about what I'm seeing. And what I am most interested in now, Justin, and I'm never going to track this because I'm a bad professional that doesn't t- take good enough notes. The thing I'm most interested in is what does the shot clock say when I see the first action run? Yeah. When I see that first screen, when I see that first sprint. Um, and more often than not i'm seeing it at set 18 or 17. and the thing that drove us crazy last year was 10 10 seconds being run off the clock we were at 14 13 12 before the first set started and like you look at expected point values per possession as you go down in the shot clock and it just collapses the Cavs were shooting themselves in the foot for no reason whatsoever. They have stopped doing that. So as long as they continue to stop doing that, which is a horrible sentence, I will be
3: happy. Yeah. You know, they have been playing with a much better pace and, and, and a speed that that's, you know, every everything makes more sense. Like, I, I think still that is going to be something that I watch in matchups against great, better teams, especially late in games, um, not killing the clock. That's one of the things we loved about their win, uh, over the the Sacramento Kings where, oh my God, we're playing against such a great offense. Like we're, we're up. Should we nurse this lead? No, they, they continue to get into their sets and continue to make life easier for themselves in the half court. So that, that to me, like when you look at Kind of trends for the the home stretch of the season. That's going to be one of the things that I'm really keeping my eye on because I, I think when we talked about this in the past, like I, I think the responsibility comes down to Garland and Mitchell more than anybody else. And for Garland, sometimes he slows down, particularly in the fourth quarter. That's a habit he needs to break. I think for Donovan, sometimes it's all right. I'm slowing the clock down, and I'm going iso. No, nobody else is really moving on this possession. Both of them have been able to generate such great success for themselves and the the team as well by doing that. But just understanding that in order to get that to translate to the playoffs, they got to break those habits that they have. I, I think that's one of the things that I'm really keeping an eye on.
2: Yeah, and a couple things to add to that, which all awesome points as usual. A couple other things. This team has a penchant for letting perfect be the enemy of good. Getting into your offense fast allows you more grace to do that. You can pass up a, an okay look after the first action and, and attack a closeout to try to go find a wide-open shot if that first action is happening with 17 on the clock. Um, So, like, I, I just think you unlock so much when you go faster you uh and i and i think they're doing that so ultimately really really happy i actually forgot the second thing i was going to say uh because i'm scatterbrained. sorry that's
3: that's okay i i think the the main takeaway is that pace in the half court is the foundation for better offense just like zoom is the foundation for better podcasting support for this podcast and the following message comes from zoom half a million businesses connect using zoom a single platform for phone chat workspaces events
0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: This is Colin Coward from The Herd with Colin Cowherd. Angie's list is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big, small, indoor, outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled pros to get the job done well. Listen, I've got a couple of things in the bathroom in my house. Angie can help you find the best price for your project by comparing quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. They get the difficulties that can come with home projects. They get it. Why not make it as simple as possible? Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com or download the app today.
3: Carter, you can go. I wasn't going to let you take my segue. Oh, well, I got so excited that I remembered
2: uh, what I was going to say. It's that I it, that I didn't even uh, notice you were setting up a segue. Normally, I see it from a mile away. Uh, it's that it also, playing with pace actually is the number one thing that will keep a too big lineup that doesn't have shooters, you know, uh, giving them options, giving them choices, giving them that time and opportunity to find a, a high percentage look. Like, I feel like that's why I'm so pleased I know we haven't seen the great results with the starting five offensively yet. I just think it's coming because of that, because they're playing fast and giving themselves every
3: opportunity to get good looks. Yeah. And and it ties into a question that West from Ohio asked, which is the offense moves at a different pace when DG brings it up. Sometimes they get into actions quicker when Mitchell is running the point. This was evident in the fourth quarter against the bulls. Should DG play with more pace or does that style of uh, not really lend to his strengths as a point guard? Um, I, I think, again, the most important thing is when is he initiating in the shot clock? Uh, we, we touched on it before, but I think that's one of the biggest areas for growth. I, I really don't like that I can't kind of look at individual pace, um, like, you know, filter out Donovan Mitchell on cleaning the glass. Bring and, back
2: if, NBA Wowie. What a
3: website that was. Yeah, a it, it, little bit more difficult, but I did want to pull some of the transition frequency. um. Garland and Mitchell on the court together, they actually get out in transition 19.4%, which is in the 99th percentile. They really get out and run when the two guards are together. Just Garland, it's down to the 20th percentile, uh, 13.6. And just Donnie is 16.8, which is the 86 percentile. So about a three percent jump when the those two guards are together. And I, I think And that's and
2: that's the difference between uh sixty-six percentile points, that three percent jump.
3: Yeah, it's it's a massive, massive jump, but like I I think you know again, so many of the numbers whether it's pace, whether it's offense, whether it's defense, d- despite that being counterintuitive, the team numbers all go in the right direction when the two guards are together, and, and their own individual efficiency always improves when the two guards are together. So I, I think that's something that I want to see um, Garland continue. Um, I I thought. He, it was actually interesting like when you look at it uh prior to the injury they played at a higher pace with garland on the court than when mitchell was on his own when uh their overall pace he was playing with a lot more tempo this year and that was one of the things i really liked about his game sounds it's, like he might need to get his wind back justin that might be part of it but i i think again it's it is still one of those habits and I just think he does such a good job of generating really efficient looks particularly in the half court um he's done a terrific job spraying it out the three him getting earlier in the shot clock is just going to make his life easier because i think when you look at some of their late game failings last year despite being the best fourth quarter team in the league a lot of their late game failings came on the road rather than home because they were great in the clutch at home But on the road they would let that shot clock wind down they would try to protect leads and they would get jammed up um whether it's a trap on one of the guards um i just think that you know getting into offense earlier in the shot clock um setting screens higher up uh, on the court if you know the team has a tendency to trap in those situations those are the type of things that i'm really keeping an eye on because Even though Garland, I don't want him to like play at a Steve Nash, Tyrese Halliburton type pace because he's so good at actually setting up and getting everybody involved. I do think how soon he initiates into the shot clock is the most important thing.
2: Yeah, same. I feel like I'm probably just kind of echoing my general answer here. I think that he's playing fast enough. I think, I do think there is a degree of you're seeing him figure out how to play his rhythmic game and align that with with like the time signature the rest of the Cavs are playing on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but like you know, since his return, but I think that's more evidence of him being a good teammate and a good learner than anything. I feel like he's like trying to figure out how, you know, it's like two two sets of drums. One 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 playing, you know, a, a faster rhythm, another one playing a slower rhythm, but they're both on the same time time signature. I'm fine with that as long as they're on the same time signature, right? Right. You just can't have them be discordant and like DG at his worst since he's returned, like in that Spurs game, kinda of felt like he was playing at a different rhythm than the rest of the team. Uh but I think the set fact that you're watching him kind of figure it out, like once he gets once he gets kind of into the flow of it, like he is an elite rhythm player. So mm-hmm. like, I, I'm very hopeful that that stuff, you're just not going to feel that soon.
3: Yeah, I, I am as well. Um, Billy and Hunter both asked very similar questions. So I'll, I'll ask them both at the same time. Do you think there should be some thought given to benching Max and starting Okoro? And Hunter's question was, yeah, would the Cavs start Okoro and bring Max off the bench since Max is in a slump? I just think that his perimeter defense is too valuable, especially with Garland on the floor. Your thoughts, Carter?
2: Um, no, I don't think they will do that. Especially not in the regular season. I think the worst thing you can do with a slumping shooter is bench him. Um, you know, you have to let him just keep shooting. Like that's that's part of the job. It's part of the it's part of what what goes on, and it's part of signing a guy like Max Struess, who is a streaky shooter. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, he's still kind of the plus minus king of the team. He's still doing everything you need him to do. Uh, they perform at a very very high level with him out there. Um, I do think it's worth asking how sure are we that the Cavs starting lineup is set no matter who they are playing in the postseason
3: I think starting lineup is going is to it be
2: matchup proof
3: I think from a starting lineup standpoint yes um, particularly because the lineup data has been so good I think there is the potential for Isaac Okoro to be our Andre Iguodala which is funny because that was one of his draft comps and when you look at it he is taking more threes per game than uh, Warriors Iggy and he's shooting them at a higher percentage That's um,
2: crazy. That's crazy. <laughs>
3: uh it's just one of those things basketball man but harrison barnes would start because of the value that his spacing brought and i I think max Struce, you know brings the playmaking he's got the chemistry with mobley those lineups have been so good i do think that there's the potential uh for isaac okoro to close games uh for the Cavs, particularly in the playoffs i think there's even the potential that you go one big and have Max Struess and Isaac Okoro out there as kind of partners in the front court along with the two guards. Like I think there's a lot of options and levers for JB to pull. And we saw earlier in the year that the Struess Okoro Mobley front court is very effective. Like it's a good two-way lineup. And Okoro you can play that screen setting 4 type of role. If you're looking forward to like one of those matchups against the Knicks, if that were to occur. If OG Ananobi is playing down at power forward, that might be something that they go to, to, you know, cross match. Because, okay, we feel good about Garland and Mitchell on Burks and DiVincenzo. We can put Okoro on Brunson. Strews can guard OG. He's not really someone that can put the ball on the floor. And we have one of our bigs out there. Like, I, I think there's a lot of options you can go to. But I just love... It is funny. Like, you look back on that Knicks series and, and, you know, the hell that guys like Isaac Okoro and Dean Wade got. So the fact that we're having these type of conversations, I think, speaks to a healthy Cavs ecosystem overall.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the team is just crazy deep, and that's why you have to have that discussion. I actually do think the starting lineup could be fungible uh, and a little bit more swap-outable. I don't think any of the core four guys would get benched in a series. Maybe if you got all the... That feels like a like a next year thing. Like you make it all the way like deep into the conference finals, and you have a matchup you just can't shake. So you make a tweak because you you have such depth and trust in your in your sixth seventh man that you can do that. But I do think that small forward spot could be one of those things where if Max is just ice cold in a series, or Brunson's killing you to start every game, you know maybe you consider ice. Maybe you're playing the Celtics and Tatum is out there, and you know Dean is really good on Jason Tatum and has proven that he's been really good on Jason Tatum, and you want to be able to leave Evan Mobley to go play free safety and gunk up the rest of the Celtics' actions, okay, maybe you do that. Um, like so, Channing
3: Frye in for T.T.
2: Yeah, or Richard Jefferson in for Kevin Love, which is, yep. like, the the next step. And I do think it'll be interesting. We're, we're kind of used to the Cavs being, like, when they've been a great team, they've been a, a very top heavy team. You know, they've been uh a, a, you know, very reliant on LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love. You know, they were their big three. But even Kevin, like there were there were times, there were series where they said, Kevin, we need we need you to to sit. You're only you might only play 25, 28 minutes in this one while LeBron plays forty four, you know? And like it's hard to have a Our Korg always plays forty minutes in a playoff series if it's four dudes. So it is. It is. I think you're right, and it'll be interesting to see whether they will, you know, sit one of the bigs or hell sit one of the guards down the stretch of a game if they have a five man lineup that's playing really, really well. um, I think it's more likely that one of the bigs sits than one of the guards. But like, we don't know what the what the playoffs will, will bring. But like, the root of this question I think was about the regular season. Mm -hmm. I think it would be very silly to do that because you need to give the starting lineup reps to find themselves offensively. They're killing it on defense. But offensively, I'm I'm not thrilled with where their numbers are. And I want to give them every opportunity to figure that out as a group because it's important for the long-term health of the team. We have great five-man lineup data with other personnel swapped in. I know that you can have good lineups with Darius, Donovan, Isaac, Evan, and Jarrett. We have yeah. a whole season's worth of data there. I need more data for the starting lineup we have right now.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, part of it was, especially, you know, Darius being back in the lineup. And, you know, I, I understand it in theory. I, I will keep beating this drum. We have now three years in a row where, you know, all the advanced defensive metrics do have Garland as a slight plus. And the important thing, like, I get it on paper, that, okay, it's a small backcourt. Are they going to have defensive issues? But it was the best defense in the league last year. It was the best defense in the playoffs. La- even with Karras playing a lot of minutes to the three, who is not
2: Isaac on defense. And which I-, I have to remind myself of that.
3: And, and the funny thing is, when you look last year, they had a 110.8 defensive rating uh, with the two guards on the court. You add Okoro to the mix For whatever reason, they were actually worse defensively. It was 112.7. Noted
2: bad defender, Isaac Okora.
3: Right. Obviously, Okora, Mobley, and Allen, that's going to give you a worse team defense. And obviously, I'm not saying that Okora actually hurts the defense, but I I think it's important to note that, you know, 110.8 defensive rating with the two guards, that's terrific. This year, it's 108.6 with the two guards together, which is in the 95th percentile for all lineups defensively. Like, they work really well defensively together. Donovan Mitchell, I, I think the biggest change there is Mitchell really committing to to the defensive end of the floor this year. Um, I think that is part of the reason why it's improved from elite to even more elite. And you add Okoro to the mix with those two, it goes up to 112. So again, you're, you got a 108.7 with Max Drews, so a 112 with Okoro. At some point, like the results, I, I wouldn't take off you know make an offense for defense sub when the defense is working as well as it is which i think was a big part of your point
1: this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the centurion lounge is he connecting to complimentary wi-fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next the amex dedicated card member entrance for the win
3: What's more important to the playoff success, Okoro or Struis, while, while we're on this subject?
2: I don't know. It's a good question. I mean, I think the answer is yes. Um, I think both are so important for the different things they bring. I think Okoro's defense is all in all defense level right now. Cavs have no one else in on the perimeter like that. Dean is close, but mostly with bigger wings. Um, and obviously, Evan and Jared are elite on the interior, but in terms of... Isaac's ruined several guards nights that are of the elite, elite, elite variety in the league. So, part of me... My gut says him because if he's shooting well... We punch above our weight. Mm-hmm. if Max is true if Max is shooting well, we are still very we're very, very good, but we're more you know we're we're more what we thought we were. if that makes sense, but like I don't know, man, it's a tough question because if Streuss is shooting well, like his shooting well is very different than Isaac's shooting well, you mm-hmm. know.
3: So yeah, I, 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 don't I don't know. Shooting well is radioactive. Like I, I, I think it's Max because I think even when Isaac's shooting well, I don't know. Like I love him going for four of eight the other game. I just don't know if that volume is going to be there in the playoffs, and I just don't know how much that moves the needle. I think Isaac's floor is just so damn high, and he's so kind of reliable for what he does that with max being a swing piece, I think I lean that direction, uh, particularly because we, we assume that this is going to be the starting lineup. And I think if he's playing well, it makes it almost impossible to deal with what the core is doing. So I, I think it's going to be max. Um, I do
2: think about the way max unlocks Evan and we haven't really seen that two man game flourish. Like it was earlier in the year just yet, mm-hmm. but I think that might, that might be the the differentiator.
3: Yeah, it's again, this is one of those good problems to have um, the way that these guys have emerged. And as a long standing member of Okoro Island, this has been a very satisfying season for me. Uh, Marks Price asks, what trends should fans be looking for as the team? (laughs) Why are you laughing, Carter? That username. (laughs) (laughs) Just just to be clear, it was Karl Marx X, not Mark Price. I I wasn't just saying that weird. Uh, What Oh, I knew exactly what it was. That's why I'm I'm laughing. I'm just saying for the listeners, you know, sometimes I pronounce things weird. I can't talk properly. So I wanted to make that clear why you were laughing. What trend should we as fans be looking for in the team as they enter the last few months of the season? What positive indicators other than winning or losing would best demonstrate that this is a team that is ready to try for a deep playoff run? Carter.
2: I've said it before, I'll say it again. I want to see the starting lineup kill people. Right now, they're solid. Uh, they they have, I think, elite lineups with Donovan and Jarrett and role players. I think they have elite lineups with Darius and Evan and role players. And right now, they have a good lineup with all four of those guys and Max Struce. I think it should be an elite lineup. It should be one of those lineups where you sort by five-man advanced net rating and go, damn, they're that high? They're like, that's the fourth best lineup in the league? That's the ceiling, I think, of our starting lineup if things play as well as I think they should. There's no world in which their offensive rating should be five or six points lower than it was with Isaac O'Coral last year at small forward. Mm-hmm. So I, I am more confident than I have ever been in this team's ability to roll out Lineups that are no worse than B B plus. My biggest concern remains do any of those lineups face up to another team's A plus lineup? I wanna and I think we have that A plus lineup, but we have not seen the metrics bear it out yet. I think the shooting variance has just inherently dragged those down because Max isn't hitting and Darius isn't hitting. But I think they can, and they will, and I need to see it. I need to see this team's... I feel like last year this team had an amazing fastball and didn't have a lot of pitch variety. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel the inverse right now, where this team has a ton of great pitches, but they don't have that one killer lineup that just makes... that you go. All right, it's close with four minutes left. It's curtains, man. Mm -hmm. Like, that, the Cavs have had that in the past, where if it was close, you knew the game was over because their best was gonna be better than the other team's best.
3: I just haven't seen it yet. I, I really believe it's there, I just haven't seen it. I'm gonna yes and here, because I agree with everything you said. I think what I'm gonna be looking at is more on the individual level. Like when we talk about you know breaking those habits, if we play a good team, uh, if you're in adverse situations, is Donovan sticking to team basketball? Is Darius playing with pace? If bigs are in drop, are Mobley and Allen attacking that and being assertive? Like, I want to see them continue to build positive habits and get those reps in there to lay the foundation for that playoff success. Um, That's the type of stuff that I'm really looking forward to, because like, to me, before the All-Star break, There's a lot of trends. There's a lot of things you can look at with the team. But when you talk about like our concerns going into that Knicks series, it was hey, post all-star break. You know, Kevin Love wasn't playing and all of a sudden our defensive rebound rate has changed. Like it's going to be this sample that we look at. That's the filter that we're going to be looking at and saying, here's our trends heading into the playoffs. This is where we're strong. This is where we're vulnerable Um, because all the context of earlier in the season, all the lineup weirdness, this is going to be who you are heading into the playoffs. Whether that means somebody's a little banged up and and things are a little wonky, like you just have to go with who you have. So I'm more interested on the individual level of, are we building positive habits? Are we stacking successes and and putting ourselves in the best position to have playoff success?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's fair. Um, And ultimately, you just need to see them prove that they believe in what they're building. Um, because if not, then you know you have big questions to answer.
3: Yeah. Um, Tony asked this question, um, before we get to close out the podcast with the Darius portion of this, because we got quite a few Darius questions. Uh, what opposing team play style has you the most worried? Example, double big, grit and grind, five out with shooters. Uh, for me, it's stretch big. I, I answered that a little earlier in the podcast, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say, Carter.
2: Posing playstyle that has me the most worried. It's a good question. I I don't know. Again, I think this kind of goes back to my last answer, and it's it's maybe not a sexy answer, but I it's like I just want to see. I'm worried that you know, again, whoever we're playing at the, that you know, as we get deeper into the postseason, that their a game will be better than our a game. You know, like I think we can hang over 48 minutes really well, but like when we're that four minutes left, like is the Celtics are the Celtics just going to bury us in threes, you know, are the heat just going to grind out possessions and, and out grind us? You know, like I, I just I just haven't seen this team's 102 mile per hour fastball, you know. And I, again, uh, so I, I'm sorry to answer the same thing as I answered in the last one, but I think it's the same answer. I think it's yes, all of them. <laughs> I, I just want I, I to, think, I think we can hang with any style. I think our, our optionality is better than we've ever had maybe since I've been a Cavs fan.
1: Mm.
2: So, you know, because like even those LeBron teams, there'd be teams whose matchup, who would present matchup problems, but we just talent through them. Yeah, and we, we I, had I a think, hell of a fastball. We had <laughs> yeah, our fat. We had the one of the fastest fastballs in the history of fastballs. You know, we don't have that now. Um, yeah. I and I, I really do think our fastball was really great last year. I just want to see them. You know, we got some Tommy John in the off season. We've been re- rediscovering our strength. I want to see it.
3: Oh, I can't wait to rediscover the strength of my ankle. Uh moving on to Darius. <laughs> uh Colin asks from our Discord, who do the Cavs most need DG to play like and why isn't Mike Conley? Carter, I'll let you go first. Oh, I I think they need him to play like Steve Nash. <laughs>
2: okay. Uh, because I've always loved that comp. I've always I've always felt that Darius at his very best was very Nashian. Um You know, I, I, so like, I just think like Mike Conley is aiming a little low. Um, I think that's like, if you are of the opinion that this team is so freaking good that you need someone not to mess up and play mistake free fundamental basketball, then I think Mike Conley is is a very good comp. And Mike Conley is an awesome player. Don't get me wrong. I think that when tested, just like in that Knicks series, you're going to, you're going to go, we need a little more juice. We need a little more oomph. We need someone to, to, to push on the accelerator, not just, not just keep us on the road. Yeah. And so I, I will always go to Nash as my ideal Darius because, uh, one, i you know, I'm an enormous fan of what Steve Nash was as a player. And I'm an enormous fan of what I think Darius can be.
3: Yeah. I'm also a big fan of Steve Nash. Shocking. I I know the Canadian. I'm not going to answer Steve Nash. Like my answer is Darius. Like he needs to answer. Probably a better answer. He needs to play like Darius Garland. And honestly, I think the best version of this team is Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell dueling banjos, both of them as assertive as humanly possible. I think what you want to see is what we've seen developing with the bigs, where, you know, Jared Allen is able to provide some of the short role playmaking, and he can be a hub, and Mobley can be a hub. You want to have that same thing with your guards? Donovan Mitchell's growth, I, I don't think enough can be said about how good he's become as a playmaker and and as a primary ball handler at times. That was one of his biggest strengths. We talked about it at the start of the year of how ineffective the Cavs were with with Garland off the court and how that was a trend going back to Utah of anytime he was playing without a point guard, those lineups didn't work. He improved, and I I think... We're finally past that. It's... Can I interrupt real
2: quick? Can I get a tangent real quick? It's crazy, man. Donovan Mitchell went his whole career being a guy where you look at the on-off numbers and you go, mm, those kind of underwhelm the mm-hmm. base box score stats. You go, hmm, maybe maybe the impact isn't there. I feel like it's the most under-discussed story among the best players in the league by a mile. That Donovan has one of the best on-off differentials in the entire NBA. Yeah, it's so cool. It is reflective of what I'm seeing on the floor. Um, it's reflective of his growth of the Cavs' growth of figuring out of putting a roster that's a little better suited to him. Uh, and you know, normally guys with like a 14 point swing when they're on or off the floor are no doubters in the MVP conversation. Yeah. Um, I understand why no cab is going to get any, you know, they're, they're going to get created on the, graded on a negative curve all year because of how the playoffs ended last year. Yeah. But, like, it's nuts that this guy is plus 14 on off dim- swing differential. Yeah, it, it, Sorry. it's nuts. Sorry, eh? it's crazy. I, I feel like I, I didn't know it was that, that stark till I saw it tweeted out recently.
3: Yeah, and, and you know, you're, you're right, like, because of how... The, the playoffs went, you know, they're not going to get considered for those awards. Just like, you know, Joel Embiid isn't able to win MVP because they always flame out in the second round and looks bad, you know, very consistent with, with what market they talk about. But I think when you look at the playoffs last year, like when the Cavs had their most success, Garland was being incredibly assertive. Game two shooting out of his mind game four he almost single-handedly got that comeback and won them that game if evan mobley didn't get into foul trouble like he, he when he is that assertive i think it unlocks the defense we need to see him be you know a better version of himself uh you contributing on the defensive end someone that doesn't turn the ball over uh when you talk about his usage and assist rate um that that's what we need to see And I want to see him continue to grow off ball when Donovan has the ball. I want to see him when Donovan's off the court. I want to see him assertive and dominating in those minutes. I just think both of them being assertive and figuring out how to get that dueling banjo thing going is going to make the Cavs so much more difficult to guard. And, you know, when, when you listen to Donovan talk about Darius, that's always what he's talking about. He's like, He's a very talented scorer. I'm trying to get that out of him. We're, we're trying to get him uh, to not always make the right play and go out there and, and be aggressive. And, and to me, that's what I want to see. I don't want to see him, you know, managing a game and making mistake-free basketball because I, I want to see him pushing the pace, pushing the envelope, because I think that's what takes the cast to the next level is having two guards at that level. And Donovan making the growth, the, the strides that he has and the improvements as he has as a player at 27 years old, I think that's a really important reminder of where guys are on their growth curve. When you talk about 22-year-old Demon Mobley and Darius who just turned 24 and Isaac who just turned 23, even Jared Allen, people talked about him as a finished product three years ago, and he has made steady improvements every single year. So to me, I don't want to see any... like I'm not afraid of seeing the players that I root for and my guys on this team make mistakes. What I care most about is progress. Even if there's little steps back, I want to see them trending in the right direction because as long as there is macro progress, I feel great about the future and direction of this team.
2: Yeah, the the progress just has to outpace everyone else's progress. That's the one caveat I'll add is, you know, the entirety of basketball is just from a talent level is on a, on a perpetual upward arc, you know? So like you can't just get a little better. You have to get better faster than everyone else is getting better. Yeah. Um, but I believe in this group's ability to do that. You know, again, I've talked about it on uh, a couple pods ago. This is one of the only teams in the NBA that pretty much like I think Coro is the only guy who's not locked up for next year. Um, That's insane. Very, of their rotation at least. Uh, And that's very, very, very rare. You know, normally you're you're seeing 20, 30% of a team swapping out year after
3: year. after year. The only guys are restricted free agent. The only guys are restricted free agent and you have a mid-level exception and you have a first round pick. Like that's that's a hell of a position to be in. It's nuts. Man, we've gone long on this. And honestly, I, I think like, we've answered a lot of the kind of DG questions with that answer. Like I want to see progress. I I want to see him improve. Um, I I think the narratives have shifted a little too much. Like we've seen it bounce around. It was Jared Allen. It was Dean Wade. It was Isaac Okoro coming out of the playoffs Um, early in the year. Donovan got far too much shit uh, from fans. And I think some of that has to do with, you know, emotionally distancing because of media narratives and whatnot. Like, that's a hard thing for even me as a fan to, to fight at times right and and then garland and mobley are out and mobley got a lot of hell right now it's garland's turn but i i think the patience that we preached with every single one of these guys whether it's Allen, whether it's Okoro, whether it's mobley trust the larger sample sizes guys will get back to that and when you talk about guys that are as committed as they are that work as hard as they do I just I feel good about them getting back to who they are and who they've been, and then building upon that. And t- tune out the isn't noise. It, tune out isn't the noise it, because the noise is silly.
2: Well, and it's also like guys are going to have stretches where they're not playing well. Um, and, and like it's been a really hard year for Darius. You know, he's just been—I mean, how many games? It's uh, been out
3: insanely of, valid reasons.
2: <laughs> out of, out of the twenty-nine games he's played, how many games has he been "quote unquote" right? You know, like not that many, and you know sometimes you just have weird, bad years like that, and maybe maybe this maybe the year just never gets fully in rhythm for him, you know it's it's possible, yeah, um, but like the reality is, I'm thrilled that Darius is working through his rhythm and getting getting right and getting back to the Darius, we know while the team's eighteen and two in their last twenty, you know, like. Normally, when your best two or three guys are having a rough time, that's reflected in the standings. Yeah, and like the fact that it's not just shows how freaking good this team is. Uh, because I don't if, if if here's a question for you, buddy. A mailbag question for me to end out the night. If uh if if zero is the Cavs didn't play at all to their potential. And a hundred is the Cavs are playing to the ceiling of their potential as a team. What do you think the the, the number the Cav, the highest number the Cavs have gotten to this
3: year? Um that's very hard because I, I would say on the aggregate it's been like seventy eight the I've, highest peaks they have reached. The highest peaks still feel like low to mid eighties. I,
2: I was gonna go eighty four, yeah. eighty five, somewhere in there. Yeah. which means there's there's a cool 15% of undiscovered ceiling. I and that's pretty cool.
3: Yeah, like Mitchell and Allen being the ones that made leaps this year. I think like those are the hardest like when you talk about most improved it usually is whoever was scoring 9 and jumped up to 20 those little subtle leaps in the margins can be the hardest to accomplish so the fact that they have kind of knocked those off and there's just so much room like even just mobley and garland getting back to who they had been would level up this team so much and i think with mobley's three point uh, shooting with you know some of the the pace and, and if garland can get the the volume up on his threes and whatnot i think there's there's so much untapped potential there that there's a lot more i i yeah, I almost feel 84 is too high. So that that is how I would answer that question, but um, I think
2: 84 isn't too high, but the difference between 84 and 100 is maybe the difference between like 40 and 84, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the the it's an
3: exponential growth curve. That's that is certainly fair. Um man, this is bringing me back to to college and my grades that never hit 84. Uh, But big thanks to everyone that sent in questions. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, If you're watching live on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of the review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs!
0: Are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of Select Can't Miss Events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex Card Member Benefits at Select Events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com/slash with Amex.